You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on the Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I'm the owner of Free Method Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Today, I had the honor of interviewing Shauna Tyler, and I am so excited for y'all to hear today's conversation. So for those of you who don't know who Shauna is, she is a brand coach, an expert storyteller, and she's also a podcast host herself for Confused to Curated. And Confused to Curated is her inclusive branding school and community for mission-driven entrepreneurs to go from confused to curated in their brands for business clarity, creativity, consistency, and community. So for all of the RDs or really business owners out there listening, I highly recommend giving Shauna a follow. She is located in the New York metro area and She's very, very passionate about mental health, being honest, and keeping it real on her Instagram page. And in today's conversation, we're really getting a firsthand view into that. Shauna opens up to us about her own personal mental health and eating disorder recovery journey and helps to provide some insight into really the fact that recovery is possible and she shares a little bit of what her her recovery journey looked like and what helped her reach the point she is now and to really find that lasting food freedom. So here is today's episode. Hey, Shana, welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am really, really well, Dylan. I, it was a little bit of a last week. Um, a hard week last week, but it's definitely a little better today given everything mm. about Taylor and things, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Well, even in light of all of that, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I know just 2020 in general has not been easy and I definitely, mm, you have been, you and so many other people have been in just my thoughts and prayers and all the things. Um, so yeah, so I am really, really excited for today's conversation. This is a um, conversation I've really been looking forward to because I think there's a lot of people out there who are going to learn a lot from what you have to say. And I think just even in following you, we were talking before we hit record, I, we both did Icon. Um, now you coach for Icon or I guess CEO school. And, um, I found you through that and I just love like your energy and your vibe and your smile. And I was like, I need to bring her on the show. Like she just brings such a good presence. (laughs) So I'm very excited. Um, and even in that to say, I would love just for you to introduce yourself to our audience, just who you are, what you do, um, a little more about you. 
Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for the kind words. And mm-hmm. yes, we have some, we, we both know Shannon. We both yes. are familiar with Shannon. You, I remember I, um, I found out about you first and foremost through Icon and mm-hmm. um, CEO school. And it was interesting because it was hashtag university. And then I found your page and I was like, yes, true freedom. Yes, <laughs> all the things. And yes. I just loved it. And when you reached out about the podcast, I was, it was a no-brainer. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, so a little bit about me. My name is Shana. I am a brand coach. I am a storyteller. And I am a community builder. To break that down, I'm a brand coach for Confused to Curated, which is a community and school designed to take you to branding university, essentially. Yeah. So. I work with a lot of mission-driven entrepreneurs on their branding strategy and how they can authentically show up online. When it comes down to storytelling, I absolutely love to present. I love to go on workshops, and I do that with a lot of my connections and acquaintances and things. And then also, I keep it really real. I like to say Mm -hmm. that. I keep it really real. I like to community build from a place of authenticity and inclusivity. As a black woman, I think it's super important to host and create spaces that are safe. And especially now that COVID is going on, a lot of it is virtual. So yeah, yeah that's kind of who I am in a nutshell. Otherwise, fun fact, I yeah. was born and raised in New Jersey, Jersey City, but I claim New York. I am a New Yorker mm-hmm. and I also have a kitten obsession and I'm about to adopt. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love cats. My husband hates them. So <laughs> that's where we are. <laughs> we, both so have, we both love dogs. So we at least meet in the middle on that. But I always joke. I'm like, one day I'm just going to come home with a cat and that's just, that's what it's going to be. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. we'll see. Um, but yeah, I love that. And speaking of like presentations, that's where I feel like I first heard you speak at EDRD Pro, which for people listening is basically like a monthly membership for, you probably could even speak to it better. You mentioned they're one of your clients, but for dietitians and just provides us additional training, continuing ed. Um, They bring in basically experts in all these different industries. And so they brought you in to help us dietitians who know nothing about that or learn nothing about that in school learn how to build a brand, but you also touched on your story and just kind of even helped connect the dots of like why you were passionate about working with EDRD Pro, which is really cool for me to see because I feel like it gives you an extra, I don't even, and when you're like helping them create a brand and you have like a personal connection to the mission and to the story, um, I'm sure for you that, you know, creates an extra bond there. And that being said, I know you mentioned you like to keep it really real. And that's something I see on your Instagram. And I love because sometimes that's hard to find on Instagram. And I know one thing you're very real and open about is just your history struggling with depression and your eating disorder. And so I would love just to kind of go back and talk a little through that because a lot of our audience is either people who are currently struggling, have struggled in some way, shape, or form with food, with mental health, with all of that. And so I would love just to kind of go back and kind of talk through your story. And then even from there, talk through what life looks like now and how there is so much life on the other side. Um, 
So yeah, so maybe walk us back kind of through your journey and, you know, as much as you want to or feel kind of led to share. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, so I think there's two different parts of my story with eating disorder and um, my eating disorder um, experience as well as depression. So my eating disorder began, um, so I'm recovered. I will say, Mm -hmm. but in high school, I suffered with anorexia and I was not very comfortable with my body. You know, I think growing up and especially being a black woman in a predominantly white school, I suffered a lot with my body image because my shape was way different than a lot of my friends, a lot of Mm people that I just saw and just for more background I went to a boarding school in New Hampshire and as you can imagine there was much diversity there (laughs) Um, there's a very small Mm -hmm. group of of black um, kids and so that Mm -hmm. said I think from there it just I really felt othered and because of that I decided that I needed to look like everyone else so with Mm -hmm. that became anorexia came with not eating meals and eventually I ended up with a school counselor and mm-hmm. uh, my parents were very concerned and for about you know four years I suffered with that and leading into college as well I suffered with it so and I would say that what really was beneficial for me was therapy and mm-hmm. also my family quite frankly uh, because they saw it they recognized it and they supported me with help when I was Mm -hmm. a minor and then eventually I decided I needed to continue on getting help and so that really started when I was in high school however when I was diagnosed with uh, major depressive disorder that was a different part of my life. So once I graduated college and I continued to seek therapy for anorexia, I recovered and it was great. I will say that, you know, I definitely have a different relationship with food now. Um, But it was, it was a journey of food journaling and really saying nice things about my body really, um, my working out wasn't from a place of wanting to move my body and loving my body. Mm. It was really shaming my body for eating something like a piece of cake or something, you know, and then I said, I have to go immediately to the gym and, yeah. you know, yeah. So it was just, it was definitely something that I recovered <clears throat> from before I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. So once I um, graduated school, I did all the things, I checked all the boxes, I, um, I moved out because that's what you're supposed to do when you're an undergrad. You move out mm-hmm. of your parents' house. You're on your own. I moved with a best friend of mine, and I was just so sad all the time. I was crying all the time. I was not – I always had, like, this lingering sadness, but it was, like, uh, charged. Yeah. And I knew something was right when I just physically couldn't get out of bed, I felt Mm. like I did not even want to, I didn't even want to groom myself anymore. I was crying Mm. all the time on my way to work, during work, after work. 
I also started substance abuse. I started drinking a lot of alcohol. And my, my roommate, my friend was very concerned. There were times when I just be passed out on the floor. I mean, this is like my mm-hmm. lowest of low. And I um, eventually told my mom one morning that I, I don't know what's going on, but I cannot leave my bed. I feel like I'm paralyzed. Mm-hmm. I cannot leave my bed. So she came and picked me up. Long story short, I went to the hospital. They, um, they declared that I could not leave because mm-hmm. I just was at a point of self-harm and just a harm to myself. So, yeah, yeah it was really rough. And But from there, actually, I, there was this glimmer of hope where I went to this clinic, an inpatient clinic. They took all my electronics. They took my phone, no computer, no MacBook, none of that. I just mm-hmm. had a journal, some pens, and a group therapy little situation. I was like, what is this? I was so mad. But, <laughs> but honestly, that three to four weeks I was there in the clinic really supported me and really learning about myself and learning about the life that I had and how I wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of yoga and meditation and therapy and individual and group and art therapy. And I really learned about myself and learned, I don't want to leave the same. So I went on a mission to go on my purpose. I felt like that was really long-winded, but it's such a, it's such a road, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you first for sharing all that, because also I know when we talk about stories, it can I mean, it brings about a layer of vulnerability of like, here's where I've been, here's what I went through, here's what I learned. But I know there's also so much power in stories, which is part of the reason I created this podcast in the first place. Um, So going back to, you talked about when you, I think you said you were in boarding school at the time and noticed your body didn't look like so many of your peers' bodies. And I hear that from so many clients where I look around, I look in the media, I look in my classroom and no one looks like me. And so I think that something's wrong with me instead of realizing like diversity is so important. Like we're all so different in so many different spectrums. And so, yeah, I would love to hear more kind of what that felt like of like walking into, and especially like boarding school where you're there basically it's almost like college right because you're there like you stay overnight you're there like for good um or not for good but (laughs) you're there forever (laughs) you're stuck there you never leave no you're there for school um yeah I would love to just I'm kind of picturing like walking into the classroom walking into the lunchroom and you see like and especially like as a high schooler that you're still trying to figure out like who you are, what your beliefs are, what you want to be. Like there's so much that you're learning. And then you walk into an atmosphere where like you don't really feel seen or welcome or represented. Like, yeah. What did that like feel like? I would love to kind of hear more on that. Yeah. I think that it's been, it was super, it was super hard. So my first year, I, my first year of boarding school, I remember coming onto campus and feeling like a huge cultural shift. So when I was in Jersey, in Jersey, I was surrounded by a lot of Latinas. It was a very 
um, very diverse neighborhood. And then when I landed into New Hampshire, it was very different. So for me, I think walking around, I am more so pictured in between classes and um, when we, so yes, you're there. It's like a college campus. So everyone walking around, everyone, Mm -hmm. my first year, my freshman year, you know, was super difficult because I came from you're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to have your body, pear-shaped body, and, mm-hmm. you know, everyone had the push-up bras, everything. And then when I yeah. went to school in New Hampshire, it was completely different, where all the hot girls, all the good-looking girls, mm-hmm. were the girls who did not have that. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. very skinny, they were very thin, they were white, the blonde hair, everything. I was mm-hmm. not, I was essentially the complete opposite of what yeah. was considered attractive in my school. Thus, I wanted to be closer to what that was. And the way that I knew that I could do that was maybe I can do this from my body, my body shape. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can distort that in some way or figure that out. So in my freshman year, I had a really tough time with it. I had a really tough time. And so um, when I came back my sophomore year, I dropped around 20, 30 pounds, which was a lot. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, whoa, you lost a lot of weight. Cause I knew I wanted to come on and I wanted to look so good. Yeah. And I stopped eating. I stopped eating all summer. I remember I just was like, no, I don't want the French fries. No, I don't want X, Y, and Z. No, I don't want this. It was very limited. And that sophomore year I came on and I felt confidently because of that. Um, so that was tough, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think that's when I ended up in the school counselor's office because my parents were concerned and as well as a few friends of mine, they were like, you're so skinny. Oh my gosh, what happened? And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's great. I dreaded going to the cafeteria. I actually did not go to the cafeteria because Mm -hmm. I knew that I would have to sit there and eat. And if I did actually eat, I would just like kind of, and people noticed it. I would just kind of like switch around my food like you know like kind of just do the thing where you just kind of like oh yeah this is good this is really yeah yum and it had like (laughs) one bite yes so yeah so it was really it was really I think when I visualized that time in my life it was mostly from I wanted to fit in I wanted to Mm -hmm. fit in and I wanted to feel attractive yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and that almost answers the question I was gonna ask is like what, when you were, you talked about like walking around from class to class and seeing, okay, no one looks like me. I need to change something. And so in that body you were in freshman year, what were you like believing to be true about yourself? Like, okay, if these people, these like small white females are good. Like what, who am I? Like, what do you feel like you were believing to be true about your body? Yeah, I think I was honestly, it was just something's wrong. Something's Mm -hmm. wrong with my body. Something's wrong with me. And Mm -hmm. I have to make something change, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll get like, I'll fit in. Like you said, they'll pay more attention or yeah, I'll feel safe. And I actually, and it worked though. I got Mm -hmm. way more attention my sophomore year. I got way more attention. I got way more, you know, guys I started dating Mm -hmm. at that time and I was like this works that's what my mind Mm -hmm. said this works this is working I'm more attractive like this and I just kept on yeah Mm. which makes it so hard because you're so right like and that's even just the culture that we live in where 
weight loss is praised, being skinny is praised, like eating disorders are praised in a sense, like, oh, you're on this diet, you skipped lunch, like you're so good, like this is great, like I want to be like you. So then when you're in that and like the deep throes of it, it reinforces like what I'm doing is right, like there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with this. So what led you then to go to the school counselor and to reach out for help? Like, was it your parents or? It was my parents. It wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) It was not me at all. It wasn't until college. It wasn't until college where I realized there was a problem. When Mm. I realized I needed to do the work for myself. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it definitely, I I still kind of swinged, you know, where I had moments of eating, I had moments of not eating, I had moments of binge eating, I, Mm -hmm. you know, in high school. And it's easier too. it was easier too for me, because I had the autonomy of not having my parents around. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have to go through all the, you know, all the twists Mm -hmm. and turns until summertime. And summertime, yeah. you know, was I, I tried to like make things work where I wouldn't eat certain things or I say I ate already mm-hmm. and came out from friends when I didn't eat already, you know? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Yes. And that's I mean, eating disorders can be so sneaky, like you can find mm-hmm. ways to make it adapt to your life where you just like fly under the radar and no one really knows. And and even thinking of eating disorders. I know I talk about this a lot with clients, especially clients who don't fit this specific mold that I'm about to talk about. But when we think about like when we watch movies and see eating disorders in movies, when we, which we don't even really see eating disorders in movies, but, but when we see people talk about eating disorders in the media, the assumption is that like, it's very, very frail white women. And so I'm curious to like what even just like the recovery journey was was like for you not fitting that mold. And, and so many people don't fit that mold, but I know I've talked to so many clients who have been in similar shoes to, to you where they're like that. I, I didn't think I was sick enough. I didn't think people like me get eating disorders. And so, yeah, so I would love to hear what recovery in that, that time when you were working with eating disorder professionals, like, if you noticed or felt any of that, like, I don't feel like people, you know, like I should have an eating disorder. Not really. I think because Mm -hmm. my family was, we had a family therapist. My Mm -hmm. family was very, very, um, which is very actually quite unique for my culture as an African American. We, we tend to, as a culture, not really seek out help not really Mm -hmm. seek out help and therapy. Um, And so in my family, actually, it was very, very much so, like, Mm -hmm. very encouraged to have therapy. We had a family therapist Mm -hmm. that I saw, and they always encouraged me to go to see school counselors. So that Mm -hmm. said, I would say that it was more acceptable in my household to do therapy. Mm -hmm. Thus, for me, it wasn't Mm -hmm. like I shouldn't be doing this or I shouldn't be here. Um, I just faced resistance because I wanted to do what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think there was ever that moment where I was like, I shouldn't be doing that, you know, like where I shouldn't yeah. be in therapy or anything like that. I think my family did a actually a really good job at kind of normalizing therapy and making yeah. it a part of our life very early, me and my, me and my siblings. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah. 
Yeah, which is so good. And I, I see that a lot where if therapy was normalized in the home, then it doesn't seem like this taboo thing, like we don't talk about or we don't do or we don't need. Um, yeah, that's, I love that. And then I would say for just the recovery piece of working, yeah. working with eating disorder professionals, I would say, I don't really necessarily remember when it was like, oh yeah, I'm just recovered. You know, I don't think there's yeah. ever that. I think it just becomes less and less of your voice, right? Of that voice inside mm -hmm. of you. I think of it almost like a shadow self where mm. it's like, I, I started to, and for me, it was very helpful in therapy just to have my journal, have my food mm -hmm. journal, have areas and have places where like physical, I could physically write down my thoughts and get yeah. them all out and acknowledge them and say, okay, this is here. Mm -hmm what am I going to do? You know? Um, yeah. and also I think it was nice having a therapist who I also felt really safe with. She didn't have mm -hmm. the body that she had my similar body, you know? Mm -hmm. So that yeah. actually really made it easier for me, quite frankly. Um, because I just can't imagine. And, and for me personally, I just knew yeah. that I couldn't have someone who, who I didn't feel like would understand. So yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot. And Dylan, I just, I really don't remember the moment where it's like, oh, I'm recovered, but mm -hmm. it just took small steps. It took small steps of saying, I'm going to eat this anyway. I'm yeah. not going to go to the treadmill directly after my meal. Mm. I'm not going to, you know, not eat all day and then just all of yeah. a sudden just like break the fridge. I'm not going to do that. You know, like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I think that for me, the journaling process was so helpful in that and just like getting all those feels out. Mm -hmm. And I do feel, I feel like recovery, it's easy to think about. as like, it's this one like light bulb moment. Like you wake up and you're like, I'm recovered. It's gone. But I, I do feel like it's very small steps. And like, if any of my clients are listening, they're like, this is what Dylan says all the time. But like, it's very small steps of like what you just said. Like I, I didn't go work out after eating this brownie or I just, I even let myself eat a regular brownie, not a black bean brownie. Like I did these small yeah. things and over time it's like quieting that voice like you talked about of, and at first I see a lot the opposite. When you first start to challenge that voice, it's like your eating disorder is screaming, like, what are you doing? You're disobeying, like get back on track. But the more that you disobey it, the quieter it gets. And then yeah. over time, all those little pieces start to diminish. And you start to realize that recovered life is so much better than eating disorder life. When you realize like, oh, I can go out to dinner with friends and order what I want. I can work out if I want to. And it's rooted in like enjoyment, but it's not punishment. Like you realize it's so much more freeing on the other side, even though when you're in the moments of the eating disorder, that seems impossible. Yeah. And I think too, what's really nice about my process of recovery was that I started to look at exercise and working out as something different, as a celebration yeah. of my body, celebrating what I have and coming from a place of gratitude of, oh my gosh, I have this wonderful, able body. I want to mm -hmm. celebrate it. Not because of what I ate yesterday or what I did this week, or I had a bad weekend, air quotes, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> but because I really want to celebrate it. And for me, actually, it's quite interesting 
I know we all have different relationships to words and statements. And for me, mm-hmm. working out the bunny ears again, like the air yes. for me, I would say working out is such a hard word, like a hard statement mm-hmm. for me to use. I always say I'm moving today. Yeah. I'm moving my body today. For me, it's just, it always has been a different relationship when I say I'm working out because I just feel mm-hmm. like the connotation of work of like, I have to have an yes. end goal for this and mm-hmm. actually moving, you can move, you can flow, mm-hmm. you can have ease with that. And that mm-hmm. just to me, even in changing my language and my relationship with even movement in general has been so powerful and it doesn't always have to look like the same thing too, which is, it always yeah. was the treadmill. It always mm-hmm. was the treadmill for me. And I remember now I just said, no, I want to move my body and explore with my body. How mm-hmm. does my body like to move? How does my body, what does my body feel like today? Does it feel like a morning walk? Does it feel like yeah. cycling? Does it feel like Pilates or yoga? Mm-hmm. And not coming from a place of punishment where for me, yeah. the punishment was always in the treadmill. I have to go. Mm-hmm. I have to go to the treadmill. I have to run at least three miles. I have to yeah. do hit. I have to exercise. I have to get my heart rate a certain way. No, mm-hmm. not anymore. Yes. So I like hit. You know, sometimes. Yes. Like. Yes. But it helps you establish a better relationship with it. Because yes. also if you think about moving your body, there's so many other benefits besides physical, like it's stress relief. It can help your mental health. It can give you time to even just kind of rest, even though you're moving, just like a release from like other activities that you do throughout the day. But when it's working out and I love that distinction, I talk about that a lot of like working out versus movement or joyful movement. Like, yeah, if it's working out, you're probably, it's probably maybe even causing more stress. Like it might not even be relieving stress and you walk away from the workout and it's so easy to have those moments of like, this wasn't good enough. I need to, I didn't sweat enough. I didn't burn enough calories. I need to do this. I need to do that instead of like, okay, I, I just feel like going on a walk today. Like, sure. Maybe I'm not going to like burn that many calories, but that's not my end goal. And that can be such a freeing thing of like, Oh, exercise and moving my body is supposed to be fun, not punishment. Um, and I, I would love yeah. yeah, and I would love to also say, I like two things here that you mentioned, one being in joyful movement, mm-hmm. and that I like to think of too, of moving meditation. So I think mm, of yeah. walks and of, even if it's just like cycling or my yoga space, when I like, you know, move around all my furniture and stuff, Yeah, I like to think of it as meditation, like mm-hmm. actually communing with my body of like, asking my body what Mm -hmm. does it like what does it need does it still want to continue this walk does it still want to continue this flow do I just want to go into shavasana do I need a child's Mm -hmm. pose and really giving myself permission to allowing myself to have that permission secondly I was really thinking about something that I had to do is I'm wearing an apple watch now but I couldn't Mm -hmm. wear an apple watch all summer yeah. because of just the added stress of, oh my gosh, what's my activity level? What are the calories I'm burning today? Have I hit my goal? Have I mm-hmm. hit 2000 calories burnt today? Have I, do I need to stand some more? Like everything mm-hmm. just got too much for me, but now I've decided to put on the watch again. But yeah. I remember when I was starting, I just started the Apple watch and then this summer it was just, it was just too rough. It was too mm-hmm. rough to keep it off. 
Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because Apple Watch, Fitbit, all of those fitness trackers, they can be both. They can be so harmful, but they can also be just an accessory where they're just, they're there, they tell us information, but the information doesn't mean anything about like who we are as a person. We're, mm-hmm. I know, and that's something that is a struggle for a lot of people where, like you said, like your watch will be like, stand up or you see those rings of like, oh, did I hit the glorious 10,000 steps today or not? Like there's all of these arbitrary numbers, but it's so easy to be like chained to it. And I know I have a lot of clients who end up getting like a tan line from it. And they're like, I literally feel like my Apple watch is a part of me. Like this is not good. Like I need to create space. But then I love how you said you're wearing it now where it's like, you can turn it into something that's good like it doesn't it doesn't have to be bad um but there may be times where it's like this isn't serving me i'm putting this in the drawer and maybe it'll serve me again another time that's good um so i would love to hear too and we've kind of talked a little bit about this but like recovery because i know for so many people one it's you know it's like we said not an overnight journey it takes so much time and a lot of times it's shedding all these different layers where just it looks different depending on the season and all of that and so I know for a lot of people listening like recovery may feel impossible or so far off or all of these things and so I would love to hear maybe one like what recovery like has looked like for you and why life recovered from an eating disorder is so much better than life living with an eating disorder? I would say definitely that recovery for me, so life before recovery throughout the actual eating disorder was not very fulfilled. My friendships, I didn't have many friends to be quite honest, just because Mm -hmm. I didn't go into social settings. I didn't feel comfortable in one of the biggest places in school, which is the cafeteria, right? That's where Mm -hmm. all the gossip goes down. I was never really (laughs) there. And if I was there, I was never present because I was always looking at the plate. Mm -hmm. So for that, and I would say, it also, it was such a hindrance on me and, and my ability to feel comfortable in, in myself enough to explore different, different areas that I loved. So for instance, I felt super uncomfortable going to the lake with everyone because I didn't want to wear a bathing mm-hmm. suit. I didn't want to, you know, do certain activities like being on a stage until eventually mm-hmm. I ended up um, being on a stage in my senior year, which was great. But I didn't do a lot of creative things just because of that. And also, I would say it was hard. I was really withdrawn. I was really withdrawn. It was it was mm-hmm. a tough journey. And when I would say about College, maybe around my sophomore year of college was when I was really, um, when I really started healing and started really recovering because, um, you know, I think what was helpful in that atmosphere was being around people who looked like me too. I was Mm -hmm. in Philly, so it was very different. I had a lot of people from Philadelphia, a lot of black people, a lot of Latinas and, you know, a lot of different folks. So, 
But for me, I would say recovery started to look way more rewarding. I allowed myself to go out. I allowed myself to have fun with friends and to freaking order the cake if I want to order yeah. the cake and not always look at the lightest option on the menu and say, I cannot eat this. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was such a freaking bummer to be around when I was like <laughs> yeah. that. Quite frankly, like it's mm-hmm. a bummer when someone's just like, picking apart their food, picking apart a menu. And, you know, I mean, you feel mm. for them, but you also are like, I don't really, I mean, like, come on, let's be honest. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to go out to eat with that person. It's like, yes. oh, it's going to be a whole yes. deliberation process, <laughs> you know? Yes. So that said, I would say it, it, it really helped me in my relationships, but with my relationship with myself became much better. Um, I loved going out from that. I loved... Mm-hmm. Um, just doing what I wanted to do, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. also there's still times where I still struggle with it. Um, Mm -hmm. There's never that voice has completely disappeared, Mm. especially given the pandemic and how much more sedentary Mm. we are and how much more time we have in our freaking heads and more time on social media, more time seeing bodies that aren't mine. Right. Mm. Um, Yes. I, I definitely have been very aware and that's why I stopped wearing my Apple watch. I think for me, it has also looked like knowing what I need to do for myself and how to protect myself so that means that there's times where i don't go on social media i'll like actually delete instagram for Mm -hmm. a whole weekend now because i just know i can't continually have that around me there's i limit my time on the tv a lot because quite frankly i'm never seeing people who look like like Mm. who have like all you know stuff that i do unless i'm going Uh to a certain channel there's ways Mm -hmm. that i protect myself and that's i think also that's okay so yeah. I've had to really change my relationship with that and like not coming from a place of shame, but coming from a mm-hmm. place of, I love myself so much that mm-hmm. I am, I am actively saying, no, I'm not going to allow this into my space. I'm not going to allow mm-hmm. myself to ruminate on this. I'm not a- going to allow myself to go to bed feeling hungry because I'm not allowed to have something. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And, and even with that, a lot of what I hear is you recognized what are things that can, and maybe in the past, like triggered my eating disorder and how can I like set up bumpers so that one, I don't even take in those messages or two, if I have those messages, how do I now navigate those versus in the past, if I'm watching a TV show and see someone who doesn't have an ass, doesn't look like me, but they're like, (laughs) Oh, the hot girl on the show, like I should look like her. So how do I set up these bumpers of like, no, we're going to stop that thought. We're changing the channel. We're not even going to watch that show anymore. Unfollow that person on social media. I call that, I call it a diet culture detox with my clients. I'm like, who do we need to unfollow? What shows do you need to stop watching? Yeah. Because there's so, and I think you brought up a good point too. I mean, I think there's so many layers to that besides even just eating disorders of like watching a show and not seeing it. I mean, seeing the whole cast as white people and it's yep. like, I don't even see myself here. Like, why would I watch this show? Um, but then even speaking to like the size of the body or what they talk about in relation to food. Um, oh, I could go like down a whole rabbit hole. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I will, and I will say too, I don't want to go too in on this, but mm-hmm. it's interesting because, you know, I think, and it comes from a sweet place, but mm-hmm. I noticed that when I talk to a lot of my friends who are white and, you know, 
for them, like for shows such as Friends, such as mm. Gossip Girl, I've never watched those shows regularly. And that's just because I need to protect myself and say, mm -hmm. there's no one who looks like me in these shows. Yeah. Literally no one, everyone mm -hmm. who, and it's, and it's like, it's something that for me, I just become very mindful of what I mm -hmm. watch and what I allow yeah. into my space. And I'll go through shows like very popular shows. And I'll be like, I can't watch this like this. Mm -hmm. I'm not represented. I'm not going to watch a show where I'm not represented. And yeah. I'm not going to allow myself to see only love interests that are not looking like me and yeah. aren't representing me. So mm. quite frankly, I think that's another part and aspect of my recovery that I found yeah. very empowering is that I really realized, no, I'm not, even if it's really cool at the moment, I'm sorry, I'm not watching these shows. Mm -hmm. Which is so good. And like what you mentioned, coming from a place of like loving yourself and supporting yourself and like how can, like, what do I need to do to support myself and my journey? And if not watching the show that everyone else is talking about how great it is, like, if not watching that's what you have to do, like, do it, you know? And, but then it also makes us think like, gosh, like there needs to be way more representation in Hollywood. <laughs> oh gosh. And so many other things. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I shared it on social media um, I don't know if you're familiar with, I'm probably going to mispronounce her name. I think it's Jamila Jamel or Jamel Jamila. Do you know, have you heard of I Weigh? It's like an no. eating disorder advocacy. So she is, she was an actor or I guess still is an actress, sorry, actress, model um, in Hollywood mm -hmm. and never really felt the mold, fit, fit the mold body type wise and talked all about like, yeah, the like producers would tell me I need to just eat like one red bell pepper a day. That was it. And just really like talked a lot about how her eating disorder started from Hollywood, but then talking about, and I, I don't remember her ethnicity. I know she's not a white female or she's a female. She's not white. Um, and she was talking about that too. Of like when I look at TV shows, like if there is a Muslim woman, then she's playing like, a terrorist or the wife of someone like that. Like, I don't see mm -hmm. people like me just playing like the love interest or the main character. Like they have some sort of other role. And I'm sure you, I mean, I see the same with people, you know, with black people, it's like, they're not the main interest or you see kind of the different. Yeah. They're usually the sidekick or they're just very hilarious, very funny. They're not usually mm -hmm. very layered as a human. It's just yeah. right. It's just like, uh, they're either the comic relief and or yeah. just like the sidekick that's kind of there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which then going back, it's like, now wonder, like you, when we watch TV, when we see movies, when we go on social media and we see these certain people put on a pedestal, then, and like going back to boarding school too, like when you see these people put on a pedestal, you're like, I need to look like them so I can get the best job. I can have the best partner. I can mm -hmm. have this, I can have that without taking a step to realize like, no, these shows, these Instagrams, all these things are telling us, like lying to us, showing us a false reality. And, and now like you've recognized, like, I just need to get that stuff out of my mind. Like, I don't need to see that. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of energy, all the things. Yeah. Gosh, I could literally talk about that forever. <laughs> um, 
it like gets me so fired up. And I think yeah. because of like the people I work with too, like I pay extra attention to that sort of stuff too. Then like, this makes me so mad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so all that being said, the way I like to end conversations is, so as a dietitian, one of the things that got me into nutrition is I'm a huge foodie. I love food. I love just all the layers that there are to food. And that's, I think one of the big passions I have with helping people recover from eating disorders and diets and all the things is really bring that like fun and life back to food and culture and all these things that food is. And so one of my favorite things to know about people is what a favorite food memory of theirs is. So I would love to know if there's maybe like a recipe that you love, a restaurant, just any food memory um, that kind of comes to mind. And there might even be many, but what would be one like food memory that comes to mind that you really enjoy? The most immediate favorite food memory I have is every birthday I have an ice cream cake from Carvel. Yeah. And I oh just gosh, love yes. it. Yeah. I just love it. Honestly, it's it's a tradition in my family to have ice cream cake. And to me, it just it always is a celebration into a new year of life, just knowing mm -hmm. that I can love my body and start it off with some friggin' mm -hmm. ice cream. Yes, that's um, so good. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably my favorite. And that relationship with that ice cream cake has shifted over years, oh, as you yeah. can imagine. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like so liberating now to just say, yeah, I'm going to have ice cream cake. Mm, yes. For my birthday. I love that. Yeah. I love ice cream cake. Uh, well, thank you so much again for coming on the show. And I, I guess you. one last thing, where can people find you if they're listening and just want to follow along, learn more about you. Where can people find you? Yeah. So people can find me at Shana Tyler underscore on Instagram. I love the Instagram land. I also mm -hmm. have a website that at the time of maybe this being posted is currently being worked on. Yeah. Um, Shana Tyler.com. <laughs> and yeah, I would just say, find me. Yes. <laughs> find me on Instagram. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love it. Love it and hate it, but love it mostly. <laughs> so, yeah, well, yeah, I love it and hate it too. Yes, I know. I feel like we all do. <laughs> well, Shana, thank you so much again just for taking time to let us into your story and tell us about kind of what, what life has looked like for you, what life looks like now. This is going to be such an encouragement for so many people. So thank you so much again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. And be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'll see you next episode.